Joining us now on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline, TJ Zuppi is with us, the uh, one half of the Selby is Godcast, wherever you get your podcast, the best uh, Guardians podcast out there. TJ, what's going on, buddy? Well, that means a lot coming from you, Matt, so I appreciate that. Why Why you say that? Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you know your Guardian stuff, too. There's a couple other podcasts that you might know of that uh, sure. are pretty good themselves, so... How how often are you listening to like Locked On Guardians or us or you, like, I mean I know you're dying for baseball to start. It kind of has now, but what, did you find yourself? What date did you find yourself going? All right, I've had enough of everything else. It's time for baseball. Oh, let's see here, October. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I love baseball more than anyone probably should. That said, I enjoy the off-season break. I think it helps to recharge the batteries. And it also makes, once you get to this time of year, so great because this off-season has been slow and it's been pretty brutal to, to try to come up with anything that's really fun to talk about on the podcast. And when your biggest free agent acquisition is your backup catcher, yeah, there's not a lot of buzz and good goodness coming coming around the team entering spring training, but it's it's the sport, it's this time of year, it has you feeling hopeful. I'm dreaming of Estevan Floriel's 2020 upcoming season and Gabriel Arias's 25 bombs and Shane Bieber getting back to form and Tristan McKenzie giving you 180 innings. It's just this time of year. It brings oh out the gosh. best in, in any any baseball fan, I think. Well, from your mouth to uh, from your mouth to God's ears, buddy. But uh, you and Zach do such a great job. And 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 I listened to the show the other day, and and you brought up this Floreal situation out of options. You know, if you had to guess and go, all right, March twenty eighth or whatever the date is when they open in Oakland, is he in center field? Do you think? I think that's why they went out and got him. I mean, you're talking about a guy that is at the age that he is, about that twenty six. It's it's time to either live up to some sort of expectations or be completely written off. And it wasn't going to come with New York. And it's a situation where he is out of options. It's not like a, a slam dunk scenario here where he's absolutely better than Miles Straw. But I kind of think that the devil you don't know is a lot more interesting than the devil you do know. And I know Miles Straw put a lot into his offseason and trying to get better. And that's great because I want him to be able to help this club in short bursts. I want him to be the fourth outfield defensive replacement, aggressively using him on the base pass. I think he can still bring value that way, but not be in the 600 plate appearance center fielder. <laughs> and Floreal is a guy that, man, he was so interesting several years ago. And I think everyone at some point has made this joke that I think Yankee fans have tried to include Floreal in a trade for every player in major league baseball at one time thinking, well, yeah, they would accept it because this kid is going to be a star someday. Well, he hasn't lived up to that. But the, the tools are there, obviously, and he's made some adjustments. Last year at AAA, the numbers finally looked a little bit closer to what you would hope a guy that is at his, his age would have eventually figured out AAA pitching. You keep coming back to how long ago did everyone get a, a consensus top 100 prospect? Was everyone that wrong on this guy? I mean, maybe because there's plenty. There's a long, long list of guys that, that we're wrong about. We think are going to be great players, but man, is he? He's just infinitely more interesting than Miles Straw is at this point. Because at least I feel like maybe this guy could 
occasionally bop one out of the park and win me a game at the bottom of my lineup or something. Do I have gigantic expectations for him? Of course not. How can you? But just like so many guys in camp, we've talked about it on this show. At points, it feels like you could just spin a giant wheel with 40 player names on that wheel, and it would land on somebody, and you would say, I I can find something interesting about that player. I don't know if they're going to be great. I don't know if they're going to have a good year, but there's something about them that's interesting, and it makes this camp, while it doesn't have a lot of buzz, it also makes it so intriguing because there's so many guys that I can't wait to see get into spring action and see, are they going to seize a job? What's going to happen with them? TJ Zuppi with us, co-host of the uh, world-renowned, I would say, Selby is Godcast, wherever you get your podcast. Of course, he and Zach Meisel do a, a great job. You mentioned all these young guys, and we took a lot of calls in the 8 o'clock hour from folks that were obviously hesitant to get excited, but others were like, hey, I, we at least this offense will be better. And Tom Verducci was on earlier uh, on the station talking about it. It can't get much worse than it was last year. But, you know, the Manzardo thing, when this all shakes out, who do you think will be the odd men out will be back in Columbus or maybe even off the roster? (sighs) Yeah, with Manzardo, that's the million-dollar question right now. Even going back to when they acquired him, I know that there there was at least a little bit of support for, oh, my gosh, let's see that this guy can make it back before the end of September and maybe get up to the big leagues. But, of course, he needed to prove to, I think, himself, of course, the organization, too, and they wanted to to let him just casually glide back into play and making sure that he's healthy. And then obviously into the offseason, he had a, a heck of a, a fall where it looked like he was definitely healthy. And so he comes to camp. You have a, a spot at DH and first base where there should be at-bats there. But it always comes comes back to the – are they going to play some games here with, as far as just – roster manipulation, service time, looking ahead. Is this a kid that needs to spend three weeks to four weeks in the minor leagues working on his quote-unquote defense and his footwork so that they can get that seventh year out of him? Is it going to matter because is he good enough to go win the rookie of the year even if he is held down for that three-week to four-week period? So there's a lot going on here, and it also impacts a number of other roster spots. If if Manzardo was to make it, does that mean that there's a spot for – for a Floreal, for a Will Brennan, you know, uh, these are questions that they're all directly linked. And that's not even to talk about what's going on at the shortstop position, which is just a mess trying to figure out how you're going to arrive at your answer there. Manzardo is somebody that I just feel like, Matt, that he, sh- he should be on this roster if right. he proves that he's one of the 26 best men in spring training. Now, hey, if he doesn't prove that, I'm not saying force the issue and bring him up here. But if his play dictates he is one of your best hitters, which I think his skill set can can show us that, then why are we playing these games? He's also a first baseman, too. And he's not somebody that I I think he's ever going to be good enough that you should be looking at that contract thinking down the road, uh, we're not going to be able to keep him around. I don't don't agree with that. I think because of the position that he plays, and I don't think he's ever going to be one of the best hitters in the league, but I think he's got the chances to be a really darn good one you should be able to extend him at some point and whether or not you held that held him back for that three week to four week period, it shouldn't matter because you should be able to afford a contract like that. So I'm interested to see is, is he going to seize this opportunity and then what does the team do if he's proving that he should be on this club? Well, that's the thing too. I mean, Manzardo, like you said, at a great Arizona fall league and you made a pretty big commitment in trading Aaron Savali to go get this kid and he's, 
pretty highly regarded. And if he sent down, to me, I thought he'd be kind of right away sharing first base with Josh Naylor when Josh is at first, Manzardo's DHing, and vice versa. So then, who take who would take that spot? And you know, our our friend Nick Wilson the other earlier today said, hey, if you open up the season, if I look at the lineup. I would assume Ramon Laureano would be hitting cleanup, and I, I told him I, I, I almost uh, refused to go on the air today after he said that. <laughs> yeah. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. Hey, maybe against some lefties where Laureano has proven that he can slay some lefties, it, hey, maybe it makes sense, but not on an everyday basis, certainly not. Yeah, that and what they do with that right field spot is, is equally as, as puzzling because – they have some pieces like Brennan. He probably should just be playing against right-handed pitching. Loriano is the, the reverse of that. Should be playing against the lefties. Are they, is that the way they're going to approach it? And then where does Floriel fit? Does he unseat straw? How, did that, how does that go? And then, of course, you look over at left field and you say, thank God for Stephen Kwan. Even if he's a league average oh, yeah. bat, you're thinking at least he's the stabilizing force that I don't question you're going to pencil his name into the lineup every single day. He's going to give you gold glove quality defense and bring a lot of value. That's not a very high bar, Matt, but you'll take the one that you can clear, right? TJ Zuppi with us here on the hotline. Uh, you know, Stephen Vogt made a comment today, the new uh, Guardians manager, that, hey, look, I mean, I've talked to Jose Ramirez about hitting second. I mean, my reaction is, duh. I mean, this is a no-brainer, Right. Yeah, I found the, the more interesting part of that quote is he said some days we're going to be a better team where he's hitting third. And so I was trying to think, okay, what? Who's hitting second? Where, <laughs> right, right. And I know we're all just, to go back to Quan, we're all just thinking, okay, well, he's going to go back into the leadoff spot. But I think even that should be up for question. Maybe, maybe it could be a more interesting lineup if you got a guy up top with a little bit more pop like Andre Jimenez. And I, I always like the guys that can lead off that have a, a chance to not make things easy on the pitcher. You don't ease into the game when you got a guy in the box that even if he only hits 17 to 20 home runs, you have to respect the power. And you can't just lay one up there and hope, I'm going to ease into this game by getting a couple of, of easy ones into the strike zone. And with Stephen Kwan, they have, I, I love him as a hitter, but he's not going to make you pay in the power department. At least he hasn't proven that yet. And so, I'm even looking at that. Well, why, why can't we adjust that? Maybe Jimenez won, or maybe we go really crazy and we go Bo Naylor won. But it all comes back to, isn't it just, it makes a lot of sense to have the switch hitter who's your best hitter in that two spot. I mean, it's, it's the way the game has gone. You see, that's where you want to put your best hitter. Jose Ramirez is clearly that. I know Josh Naylor, if you're looking at run creation, you can make a case he had a better offensive season. But your best hitter is absolutely Jose Ramirez. And he's a switch hitter. It makes it a perfect sense to keep him right in that, that two spot. But, you know, you, you mentioned with Vote that he doesn't know what he's going to do, and we don't know. We, we're so used to watching Tito, and you could right. almost just – we knew. We, you could fill out a bingo card at the beginning of the year and try to get bingo based on the things you knew about Terry Francona. We know next to nothing about the way that Stephen Vote is going to run a baseball team. I'm confident that he can handle personalities, but as far as – the X's and O's and filling out lineup cards and how he handles the bullpen. We don't know. And really he doesn't know because he's never been in this position before. One more thing on the offense that I want to get to the pitching, but shortstop. I mean, I listened to you guys the other day, talk about Gabe Arias and, and certainly I guess being the leader in the clubhouse now, and he's only going to turn 24 this, 
this coming week. So he's still young. Do you view the him, him being the favorite right now? And do you still worry that when it comes to left-handed pitching, I mean, he did absolutely nothing last year. Yeah, reverse splits. I never know what to make of those because they can get so messy. I mean, can you could you be any worse than what he was against left-handed pitching last year? I mean, just by the odds of the baseball god smiling on you a little bit more, wouldn't you be better against left-handed pitching? I don't know. That's a question that he's going to have to answer at some point this year. I would think that he he has the, the first opportunity, but I don't know how long the leash is. And one of the things that we've raised on the show that, you know, I don't even, I'm not even sure if the organization is, is knowing. It's one thing if one of these guys establishes himself and he's showing clearly, this is the answer. This is the guy. Okay. That makes it easy. And it's also easy when you hand the reins to somebody and they stink, that makes it easy because then you just go to the next guy. But what happens if, if Gabriel Arias is just okay, what happens if he's playing really good defense and he's not really embarrassing himself with the bat, but he's not really taking off either. And he's like hovering around maybe a league average sort of bat. And you look down in the minor leagues with a guy in Brian Rocchio, who is on top 100 prospect list still. And I know there's been some fatigue maybe even here locally, just as far as his name goes. But if you look nationally, he's still a respected prospect. What if he showcases some of, taking the good of what he did last year and adds that to maybe some of the power he's demonstrated in the past, and he's tearing it up at AAA. Then what do you do, Matt? Do you, do you stay with the guy that, hey, is showing you he's fine, he's adequate at shortstop? Or do, at what point do you say, hey, Arias, I know you've been fine here at this position, but we really want to see what this other guy has, and so we're going to unseat you as the starter. That's what makes it so difficult when you have so many of these young guys that, yeah, there's some intrigue in, in there, and there's definitely a lot of skill. But also, how do you be patient when you've got seven other guys at that position that you also want to get a look at? I think this team could win the division because of the starting pitching, and I love the depth of it. Do you agree? I mean, how can you not? But but it also, Matt, it's so the the, the fluctuations between what their best and worst could be is kind of scary because you're talking about two guys at the top of the rotation that are coming off of injury-plagued seasons. And so can I just pencil them in for 175, 180 innings? I don't know. It would be nice to do that, but I, I can't make that call today, and you can't really predict injuries. And then the other three that I love, and Gavin Williams and Tanner Bybee, my God, both of those guys not only flashed brilliance last year but did it for long stretches, especially I love the way that Williams finished the season last year where he was stronger down the stretch where you thought maybe a guy that didn't have this gigantic workload in the past might be wearing down. No, he was almost getting better at the end of the year. And maybe we overlook Logan Allen. He's also pretty darn good. But those are also three guys with barely any major league track record. So how how can you know for sure what they're going to be? So is there a scenario where I could see them being a top three rotation in the American League, if not better? Yes, I see that. Is there also a scenario here where you're dipping into your minor league depth five, six times? <laughs> yeah, because there could be injuries. There could be just guys regressing in their second full big league season. It's kind of scary, but it's also kind of fun because I, I, I like the, the ceiling. I like kind of dreaming on that this time of year. All right, brother. Appreciate the time, my friend. Keep up the great work. You and Zach are, uh, are, are the best, man, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me on, man.
You got it. There he is, TJ Zuppi with us on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline, the Spring Train Report, brought to you by Casey Roofing and Quinn Legal.